verses 19 and 12, so I'll just read it. Don't turn there. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And this is what started the whole teaching session this year. Teach us to number our days because truly our days are numbered. The hairs on our head is counted by God. I mean, there's nothing that we're doing but what we're not decreasing all the time so we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, whether we meet him in death or whether we meet him when he comes to take his own. As the Perusia, we'll go see him. And it's up to God for that. But our days are numbered, and we have to be wise. Now, Satan is really putting the goal. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but on one of the programs I watched this morning, Instead of children passing notes to one another in school now, they're writing love letters to Satan in some of the schools in our larger towns. And I guess this would be a large town. So we have to be very, very careful. We have to be up and about our father's business. We have to teach in love because Satan doesn't really teach in love. He's got a false love. But he teaches with an attitude of being concerned. Whereas a lot of times we teach with a domineering, authoritative attitude and we don't show love with it. We're going to have to show the true love of Jesus Christ to all men, women, boys, and girls. Sometimes it helps to have somebody back you up in what you're saying, even if they don't know who you are. <laughs> but this morning I've titled the lesson, The Proper Way of Doing. After I read this chapter and reread it, that seemed to be the best title. Because a lot of times we just do things to do them. We just do it because it's automatic. We do it because we think we have to. We do it because we feel like the church requires it. So let's look at the proper way of doing this morning. In chapter 6 of Matthew, starting in verse 1, says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Now, it goes on down to explain that a little bit more through the next four, three verses. But I'd like to just sum it up, talk about giving. A lot of times, our giving to God is not from our heart. And it's not out of the necessity, but it's out of the leftovers. And God wants us to give from our heart because we love him. We want to see the furtherance of his word preached that more people can be saved in his kingdom. This is actually what we give for, whether it be in foreign missions, whether it be in home missions, whether it be in a building fund where we can build a larger building and, and get more people to come in, or whether it be in just paying your pastor's salary. I mean, all of this is necessary. 
and it's necessary that you pay the light bills, the rent bills, and the water bills. But this is all necessary for the kingdom of God to be built here on earth and for us to do our portion. There isn't one person, not one, that cannot pay their tithes. There is not one person that cannot give a love offering. But if you give it, well, that's what the church asks for. I guess I'll have to give it because I'd look weird if I didn't. Or I'd, somebody might see that I didn't give it an offering and put my little envelope in that basket. Then they'd think I wasn't part of the church. and They wouldn't let me have part of it. They wouldn't let me do this or that. I mean, look, these thoughts go through people's minds. I've even had people come to me and tell me this sort of thing. That's the only reason I pay tithes. That's the only reason I give them the offerings, because I know brother and sister so-and-so is watching me. Or I know the church secretary, Sister Marcy. Now, she knows who puts in and who doesn't put in, and she's just going to blab it all over the country. Okay? only thing was, I was the church secretary as well as the pastor's wife. And I never blabbed whoever put in tithes or offerings, because that's between you and your God. But I told that individual when they've come to me with that, I said, Sister, I don't want, and God don't want your offering. He doesn't want your tithe. He doesn't want anything to do with your pocketbook. And she says, How do you know that? So it says, The church says I got to do it. I said, Let me show you here. You do it with a loving heart. You have a way of presenting your alms before God. You don't hold that envelope up. So brother and sister so-and-so can see it and then drop it in. You just gently, quietly put it in. It says, give with a cheerful heart in another portion of the scripture. Okay, that's exactly what we should do. And if we can't do it, it's not doing God's kingdom any good or you either. So when we give, let's give it between us and God. And he says, what we do secretly, he's going to reward us openly. Now, he may not send you that $10 million check from publishing house, but he may send you the coat you need or a dress you need, or he may make your light bill low enough that it can come within your budget. See, God will reward you openly that you know he is blessing you in your house. He's putting food on your table, a roof over your head. God does all of this. Oh, no, he doesn't. I do it by my own strength and my own power. No, if God didn't bless you, you wouldn't have any strength or power. So we've got to be careful how we do things in the proper way of doing them. Do it, giving with a cheerful heart. Do it in secrecy. And just let it be between you and God. I used to, when I was going to college, uh, walk down the hall and with a smile on my face, well, that smile was because I knew I was God's ambassador to that college. I felt like I was the only one there that was a Christian. Now, putting my feathers in my hat? No, I had to have this because at home I had a husband that was dying of a heart condition and I had four teenagers that was going through teenage problems. But I needed this. So I smiled and I thought, I'm God's ambassador. Nobody ever knew when my husband was sick. Nobody ever knew when one of the children got grouchy and irritable that morning. Nothing. Because that was a secret between me and God. God, I'm your ambassador. And everybody would say, doesn't anything ever happen to you, Miss Hosea? Doesn't anything ever bother you? 
And I said, why should it? Jesus is in control. See, it opened the door. And I got to talk to him about Jesus. It wasn't anything at break time, by the grace of God, that the table where I studied at was all surrounded. Seldom did we ever open the school book. We talked about God and how he helped to answer our problems. But see, what I was doing in secretly, God began to open the doors and let it be open. And he wanted this. And I needed that. And God knew I needed it. But did you ever stop to think you are God's personal ambassador wherever you go? And I have never saw an ambassador from the UN hang their head, droop their shoulders, and walk in. Most of the time they come with their head held high, their back is straight, and they walk with an elegance. I don't care if it's the poorest country in the world. They're proud to be an ambassador from that country. We're from the heavenly kingdom. And honey, we ought to be the proudest people on earth because we represent God wherever we go. And in our giving, we have to be careful because if people know what you're giving, and they'll think, oh, it's just wonderful. I tell you, I saw that sister drop in a $1,000 bill. It was so wonderful of her. Sister, bless your heart. I don't have a thousand, but I'm sure glad you got it. She got her reward right then. Had she have done it secretly and put it in, and not intent for anybody to see it, that's one thing. But when she drops it in, open, flamboyant, so everybody can see it's a thousand, they got their praise, they got their reward, and God won't bless any further. See, there is a law of giving, and people, we've got to be careful with it. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 talks about prayer. And there is a proper way of doing it. You pray to God and for God. And not for the benefit of those that's standing around you. You don't want them to know your large vocabulary. Or how much of the Bible you know. You can just feel it off as you pray. But you're like the publicans that stand up. I said publicans, not republicans. You're not like the publicans that stand up and, and make loud, boisterous prayers. And when you repeat, glory to God, hallelujah, glory to God, hallelujah, let it come from the innermost being out. Because if you stand there and say, glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and you take all your time doing this, it doesn't mean you're a super saint. It's just a vain vocabulary. It means it's empty and it's foolish in the eyes of God. And you don't get any reward for that either. But if it comes from the innermost being and you begin to praise and worship God from the depths way down inside, from your heart, from your mind, from your soul, and you open it all up to God and you begin to pray and tell God how much you love Him, and I have seen people and I have felt the Holy Ghost chill bumps all over me and they have said, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus. And it was just, they didn't know anybody else was around them. It was just their making love to God. And in the power of prayer of doing this, the Holy Spirit began to bless them to anoint. And the next week or next two weeks when they had a trial or a trouble to come forth, Jesus just opened the way and away they went. Because they had made love to God. They had prayed. And as I was telling someone here, I think it was last week or week before last, my father-in-law used to say, use your prayers 
as a bank account. When you don't need to pray, pray. And let the Heavenly Father put it in your Heavenly Bank account. And then when something happens and all you can do is say, Jesus, immediately he checks your account. He says, you've got it in the bank. Your prayer is answered. And he gave a very good illustration of this. They had a car wreck one time. They had not only his family in the car, but there was uh, visiting children in the car with them. And a car pulled out on the side road and a bunch of kids in it laughing. And when they pulled out, they hit Dad right head on. Dad was the worst one hurt. He said he left his body and he looked down upon the whole situation. He knew how bad everybody was hurt. He knew he was dead. But he also knew that the impact, the only thing he had to say was Jesus. And said they started taking people out of the car and he was wedged in. And as they got him out, somebody said, I think he's dead. And he said, about that time, I went swooped right back in there. He said, because I had my praying done up and I had my bank account overrun with prayer. And to me, I have never forgot that statement. He's been dead 10 years. But this happened many, many years ago. But I thought, God, pray is the one thing that you can put up in your bank account in heaven and there is no rust, no moth, nothing can steal it. There's no thief going to come in. That bank will not go under. Because that's the bank of heaven. That is prayer. It's important to pray every day, three or four times a day. See, we knew something was about to happen because God was increasing our prayer life. Mine and Brother Hope's life. Thank God. <laughs> I don't know how much we've got in reserve now, Lord, but <laughs> I've got to go back and do some more. But God knows, and we need to get ourselves in this and direct our prayers to Him. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern for us, but it's not for us to use as is. There's very few times you'll ever say the Lord's Prayer as is, and it'll be effective. It's a pattern. Brother Host Clause went into this, so I'll not go into it anymore, but the, remember what he said. It is our pattern. He said, after this manner, in verse 9, after this manner, he didn't say say these words, after this manner, we pray the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to look. Three of the verses in this is very important. It dwells on forgiveness of others. We must forgive others. Number one of their debts to us. That's the favors and the obligations they owe us. And then their trespasses against us, number two. And I want you to look how people can trespass. People can trespass on your time. Just take up your time. They can trespass on your space. They can come into the area where you've got something else to do and you can't do it because they're there. So they're in your space. Their finances, our freedom, just our basic freedom. People can come and try their best to put us in bondage, either to them, to the world, or to the formalities of the world. And we don't have to let them. And then to our life, they trespass on our life a lot of times. And they trespass on our reputation. But Jesus says we've got to forgive them of all of this. And this has to be done from the heart. It can't be done from here. If you forgive somebody from here, you might as well quit wasting your breath. But if you forgive them from the heart, and God sees, and God knows, then you have truly been blessed. Then God, in return, 
can forgive you of things that you've done against him when you ask repentance. See, all these things are connected. They're interconnected. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And it's all interconnected with that. We've got to go with it. So we've got to be careful how we pray. Chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 speaks about fasting. It says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, or you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto your Father, which is in secret, again, in secret. Which, and, I, and your Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, we've been in the ministry for many, many years. We call church fast. And when you call a church fast, your brother and sister's going to know when you're fasting. But that's all it should know. When you call a private fast, nobody should know you're fasting. But we called them, and then we went downtown, and the ladies let their hair be streaming, and their countenance was so long. And everybody said, are you sick? Oh, no, I'm fasting for the Lord. You just drink water and tell them, this is a day I don't care to eat. Uh-huh. Yeah. But just say, this is a day I just don't care to eat. And really, it's not a lie because you don't care. You're fasting for something from God you really want and you really need. So this is a day you just don't care to eat. That is the truth. <laughs> or they ask you out, and you've got to say, Oh, I really don't feel like going out today. Why don't you feel like going out? Because it's your day of fasting, and when you're fasting, you should be doing some praying along with it. And it's a good idea if at mealtime you can. It's not always possible, not really. But if you can at mealtime, get you a glass of water and go someplace and read the Word and let the Word be your food or go someplace and pray and let that be your strength that you receive from God. Because fasting is a very delicate, frail matter. But this is something strictly either between a church as one unit and God or between you as an individual. I have seen miracles performed in the lives of men and women and boys and girls simply because they called a fast on themselves feeling like that they needed to get a special touch from God. And they did. But these ladies, I'm sorry to say, they just made a mockery of the fast system. Like we had a certain thing come up in a church, and we asked everybody to fast. And most of the people did it properly. They washed their face. As a matter of fact, they even put on a little brighter garment. Because, you know, when you fast, you kind of pale, and you get a little bit peaked. Well, if you'll wear a red, a pink, a bright color, vest, 
like Brother Bill's got a tie on that's red, if you'll wear something a little brighter colors, that reflects into your face. And most people don't know it. But a lot of them will say, are you sick? What's wrong with you? Simply because your body's having to do without something and it's really kicking up. But God blesses when we try this. You have to learn the secrets and you have to learn the ins and outs of fasting. But it's a beautiful experience with God. It's just fantastic. You do it in, as a secret mission. I like that secret mission stuff. I guess that's the kid in me. Yet. I like a secret mission between me and God. And I smile and I have a cheerful spirit. And I be careful that I dress well and I let it reflect through my happiness. Because we're on a secret mission. My soul has a need, and my God's going to supply that need. And the way he's going to do it is to make this old flesh suffer. I'm going to make the flesh suffer for the glory of God. And besides that, it don't hurt to lose a couple of pounds most of the time. Anoint your head. I like that. The thought God gave me with that was keep your mind on Jesus. Comb and fix your hair. Wash it if it needs be. And no one should suspect your fasting. And do not tell them. And wash your face. And let the glory of God just shine through it. And he can. And I think that's the most blessed thing. When the glory of God shines through. I've been in stores. Places of business. And I've walked in and there's somebody just radiant. Just beyond beauty with radiant. Maybe they weren't naturally beauty. But there was something that was beautiful about them. And I say, you're a Christian. You know Jesus thank you. And I've never had one tell me no. Yes. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my King. It just seemed like they were just bubbling to tell somebody. But of course, being a business person, you can't open the conversation. But if somebody asks you, you've got a right to respond. That's what they told us in the hospital. said, you can't open the conversation, but if somebody asks you, you've got a right to talk to them a little bit. And that's neat. I like that. God sees the fasting in secret. He'll reward you openly. And he'll answer your reason for fasting. Now listen. When God answers, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says maybe, and other times he says you wait. It's not time yet for you to get what you want. But you know, just an answer from God. To know he cares. It's worth the fast. If he says no then you know he loves you enough to listen to you and he says no and you know it's for your benefit. So wait on a little longer and you'll find out why he said no. A lot of people think the only thing you can do is say yes, yes, yes. God loves me because he says yes. Well, now that doesn't mean so. Do you give your children everything they ask for? You still love them, don't you? When you say no to them, you still love them just as much as you'd love them if you said yes. So we've got to be careful. Our Heavenly Father loves us too. Don't ever, no matter how down and out and depressed and oppressed and sick and down in the dumps and, and all this other distress that can come on, don't ever forget God loves you. As an individual, He sees you. He knows your needs. And a lot of times all He's waiting for is for you to open up and talk to Him. And that's all He's waiting for. We talk to him through prayer. We talk to him through fasting. But God will reward us. Six, chapter 6, verses 19 through 23 talks about our treasures 
are treasures. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now there's many things that could be attributed to treasures. If I pass out a piece of paper to all of you and I say, write things down that you treasure, I would get probably not a duplicate on any of them, except maybe for our children. But things you treasure, what is it? What do you work the hardest for? And that's what you treasure. We've had neighbors that spent the whole weekend out in their yard working on their flowers. They had the most gorgeous manicured yard you ever saw. Roses, it was as big as teacups and some of them was as big as sausage. Dahlia, dahlias, all of these different types of flowers was growing. Each one individually taken care of. But they never went to church. And as far as we know, they never helped the kingdom of God one time. They really never had a friend because they weren't friendly. When you brought, came to their house, you keep the children on the sidewalk. You take your shoes off just inside the door because he had a beautiful home and she had a beautiful home inside. There was no warmth. There was no friendliness there. Everything they had was their home and their yard. And that's exactly what they had was their home and their yard. You let your dog run through their yard and he got a BB gun out and shot it. A cat, a bird dare fly through that yard or land on one of those shrubberies. It was gone. And so you know the children in the neighborhood didn't like him very much. So they taught their dogs to stay away from there. They chained them up. They tied them up. But once in a while, those animals get loose. And here goes a child running through the yard after a dog. The dog gets shot, and the child gets screamed at. We lived there several years, so I know what happened. <laughs> Needless to say, our children were some of them that got yelled at. <laughs> but they never liked the man because his treasure wasn't put in the right place. But if we put our treasures in heaven, like our prayers, our fasting, our searching for God, our witnessing, those things that we do for the kingdom of God, if we lay them up in heaven, there is nobody going to steal them away from you. Nobody. But if we put it in the bank down here, that bank can go default. Put it in the savings alone right now, and you're really asking for trouble. But, I mean, these things are temporal things. These things are things that man has set up. And nothing that man set up is going to go for a long time. But what is done for God will last for eternity. And you don't just go by faith. You go by works, children. How hard do you work for God? As hard as you do to put a roof over your head, food in your belly, car to drive. You work for God that hard? Where's your treasures? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good thought to think about. Repentance, baptism, see the Holy Ghost. You know what that does? That just opens your bank account. 
in the kingdom of heaven. That just opens it. It doesn't give you the right to write any amount that you want and ask your heavenly Father to give it to you. That just opens it. From there on out, there is prayer in the right way. And there is witnessing. And he said there's providing for the needy. If you need to give him a cup of water for the thirsty, he said he would bless that if you did it in his name. I mean, all these things sound so small and so trivial, and yet at the same time, that's our treasures that were lying up in heaven to await us. Okay, so we enter the kingdom of heaven. And, okay, everybody says, St. Peter's standing at the gate, and he opens the gate, and he says, Okay, I see your brother Colin. You repent, you've been baptized, and you see the Holy Ghost. Okay, come in. And then he goes on down the road to Brother Paul. Paul says, now let me open your bank account and see how much you got in there. I'm not even going to play with that one. <laughs> but put all of our names on the top of a ledger. And let St. Peter welcome us in because we've completed the plan of salvation. But then let Brother Paul go through the ledger and look to see what treasures we've got up. What will our rewards be? Will we get a cabin in the corner of Glory Land or will we get a mansion? Will we wear a crown or will we get a comb? Comb our hair with. All these things we have to think about. And see, I know you've been taught this, but again, Satan has stolen it out of your memory. And this is why I feel like God's put these few chapters on my heart to teach this month. Because I feel like we need to remember that we are laying up treasures. We're not just doing to be doing. If we're doing to be doing, forget it. We're not doing it for the kingdom of God. Don't do it. Go home, sit down, and watch a soap opera. That's just about all it's worth if you're not doing it for God's kingdom. And that's how much blessing you're going to get out of it, too. But if you're really earnest. I've got two coats in the closet. Somebody needs a coat, I want to give them one. If they can wear my size. But I'll give it to them. For the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And hoping, hoping, hoping that through that coat there is so much of the Holy Ghost manifestation in, that it will deal with the heart of that person and bring them to God. you get got two loaves of bread. It's the same principle. Whatever you've got, if you can share it with somebody else that really needs it. Now, I don't mean a con artist. Con artists and I do not get along. I've worked with too many of them through the years. But I mean somebody that's in earnest, that has a need, and comes to you and wants something. Not just a handout to go get drunk. And sometimes, you know, that pays off too. If we do it through the glory of God and hand it out to an alcoholic, that needs help or who has Satan sent. Because Satan will sometimes will send a person in front to take away your extra coat when the person that comes along next really needs it. So you have to have a gift of discernment and God will give it to you if you ask for it. You have to help the homeless and the orphans and the widows. And I was brought to my mind about the little boy, I believe he was in New York, 
and he heard about the homeless on the streets with no blankets, so he took his blankets off of his bed and he told his daddy to drive him down to Skid Row. And he handed out his blanket. Of course, he talked it over with his mom and dad first, and they felt like if that's his ministry, fine. Others found out what he had done and began to give him blankets, and he began to make nightly trips down there to cover up those people that was over the sewer holes where the heat came out. It was rotten, horrible-smelling places. But he covered them up. He laid up treasures for himself in heaven. Now, I don't know how long he did that just for the glory of God. From what I've read of him, he did it all the time for it. But if he eventually did it for pride, then that kind of closed off the checking account right there. When pride enters in, children, that closes out your checking account. It stays right where it was. And from then on out, that doesn't really do it. When the works of the flesh begin to enter into what you do for God, that nullifies. That stops. If you've got 550 prayers in there and you begin to pray for sanity, you'll keep 550 prayers no matter how many hours you spend. That's what I'm talking about nullifying from there on out. Comfort those that are mourning, that are in sorrow, that are in distress. And I guess the biggest thing I've got right now is with my grandson. He needs comforting. He needs love. He needs compassion. He's done nothing since he came in Friday night but asked about this church. What kind of church is it, Grandma? Do they care? I said, oh, certainly care. And... I'll not say any more. But there are people that are mourning, and it doesn't just mean mourning over the death of a loved one. There's more ways to mourn than just that. And Christopher right now is mourning, and he's in deep sorrow, and he's in distress. He's a young man, he doesn't understand why the situation is like it is, but God has been here for us to help us. And showing that's what faith outreach is all about. Reaching out by faith to help those that we can help. Okay, you take water to the thirsty and the weary. That doesn't mean just natural waters, but that means the Word of God and the Spirit. I can take you the Word, but if I don't take you the Spirit, I can kill you with that Word. I sure can. I'm not winking my eyes, but I'm kicking it. <laughs> Didn't want anybody think I was flirting with them. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. And therefore thine eye be single. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. We are the light of the world. As the light of the world, we radiate Jesus Christ through our eyes that people might see the love, the glow, the adoration. Somebody once said the eyes are the windows to the soul. And I feel like that's the truth. If we keep our eyes looking for the good in men and women and boys and girls, we keep our eyes open to the world, where we work, 
then we can be the light of the world for Jesus Christ. But if we take our eyes and we begin to look on the things of this world and desire them, lust after them, and want them, there is no way Jesus can manifest himself through us. And then we who are supposed to be light, our lights have been put out, and there is no greater darkness to anybody than a light that once shone bright that's now gone out. This room is light, and if I asked Brother Jean to turn off the lights in this room, it would appear almost like darkness, almost like evening time, because even the light coming in from the windows would not be as bright as what we saw here. And children, that's what happens when children of God fall by the wayside. They're in total darkness, much deeper darkness than sinners are. And we've got to watch our footsteps. Again, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And it comes through our eyes. Does your eyes desire things for the kingdom of God or does your eyes desire things of the world? Does your hands want to reach out and caress the soul for God? Or does it want to reach out and grab everything it can play to itself? We have that choice. God definitely gives us that choice. And I praise God for it because he did not make us robots. We have a choice to reach out to God this morning. And for God. To God and for God. Because we are his hands extended. But we reach them up to him in praise and adoration and for strength and wisdom and knowledge to come into our being. But I have never seen anybody go so far into the depths of sin than a Holy Ghost-filled person with that thing. They'll rant and rave, and I've seen them go so far back. But the ironic thing of it is, they'll quote you scriptures to justify what they do. For the most part, they know scripture extremely well. And to keep that from condemning them, they'll throw it at you and try to make you feel guilty for what they're doing. Don't let it happen. Let your eyes be for God. Let it see what God wants. Oh, I know there's evil out here, and I'm not telling you to be blind to that. I'm just telling you not to seek after that evil. But if you see a brother or sister that's going down a road of destruction, and they don't see that, and you see a car coming, or you see Satan has built a big snare, go to him and say, look, with the love of God in my heart, the way you're going is you're going to lose your soul. You're going to be hurt. And most of the time, we should all accept it all of the time, but most of the time they'll stop and say, what did you say? I didn't realize. They should do this. If a brother or sister has love enough for you to come to you and tell you, hey, look, the way you're going right now, you're going to be hurt and you're going to hurt somebody else. Accept that and begin to pray and change your way, change your direction a little bit. We can get so gung-ho sometimes for God that we can't see what's coming. So let our eyes go for God and see the good in people. If you can't say something good about somebody, my mother always said, keep your big mouth shut. And like I said one time, I think I said it here, I only knew one woman, but I couldn't think of a good thing to say about it. And I don't talk that. I don't mention her name. 
There isn't one thing I can think of good about that person. I don't want to get into this dissertation. This is going to hurt me and her and the person that knows her. And I don't want it. And if I can find anything good, I'll elaborate on this Because that's how we feel sister's character and influence in the other Now you look at me and you can say, Sister Hopefall, she does this and she does that and she does something else. You could tear me apart. Because I've got faults. But when you're tearing me apart, you're also putting yourself down and your church down. So find at least one thing good about me and build me up with that one thing if there's nothing else. I pray I'm not like the lady that has no good faith. But build your brothers and your sisters up. Don't tear them down. That's what God means by the life of the world. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 24, that you cannot be double-minded. You cannot have a double standard. You cannot serve God here and worship God here in this assembly and in this building and then go home the rest of the week and live for the devil. Can't do it. You are not a witness for God. You are not a light to God. You are not the salt of God when this happens. Number 25, verse 25, talks about being obedient to God. He will see you. He will feed you. He will give you drink. He will give you clothes. He will take care of us. And not the things of this world can take top priority in our life. God has to be a number one. I said one time that the church is not the first thing in your life, and it's not. God God, your walk with God is the first thing in your life. Your closeness to God, your fellowship with God between you and God, that's number one. Because God, in the beginning, was God. Now, what happened after that? After that came God created man. Now, I know he created the animals and all this sort of thing, but I'm talking about taking care of things. He created a man, so you take care of your body. That doesn't mean you throw elegant clothes on it and wrap it in all kinds of mink coats and sables and feed it uh, caviar and pheasant on your glass. But that does mean you are the temple of God and you take care of that temple. Then God created the wife. Your wife comes next. But God said, you act, you treat the wife as I treat the church. So your heart should be for the wife. Your heart should be for your spouse. And you treat them like Jesus Christ treats the church, justifiably. He doesn't put any more on the church than he can bear. Then he gave us the children. You know, it was a long way down the line before God actually gave us the church. But when he gave us the church, he had meant, he very definitely meant we were to obey his scriptures concerning the church. 
He said, we are together here to assemble here every time the doors are open. Right? He said, we're to bring our tithes into the storehouse, so he calls the church a storehouse. Brother Hosepaw has a problem with ministers that want tithes. He said, I've never once yet saw one that looked like a storehouse. But we've been to places where they get 100% of the tithes plus. That means the church has to give on the rest of it, pay the light bill, and all this other stuff. But uh, be obedient to God. Put God first in our priorities. God first in our life. And everything else has got its place coming down the line. Verse 26. Think about the birds. I like that. God feeds those birds, and they sing, and they're beautiful. And he guides them to their food, to their shelter. He puts them north in the summer and south in the winter. Now, this is instinct. He gave them. Inborn, innate. No matter what bird, fowl, anything you've got, it is born. All of them are born knowing how to eat. Knowing how to do that which God has created them for. Whether it's a rooster to crow the sun up in the morning. Or it's a hen to lay an egg. They do that which God has created them for. And yet they don't worry. Because he feeds them. What God does is to make it appropriate for them to go to the feed. But they have to take their little wings and fly. They have to listen with their little ears for that worm that's in the ground. And then they go get it. See, God didn't mean for us to sit back and say, Feed me, Lord. He gave us the appropriate things to work with that we could get the food we need and the clothes on our back and uh, the house that we live in. He gave us a mind to think it out and a mouth to speak and hands to work with and feet to go there. So we are like the birds in the eyes of God. He gave us the equipment. Now, if that bird chose to sit in that nest all of its life, I'm not going to fly. I'm not going to get on that ground and get my feet dirty and listen for a stupid old worm. It's like that. That's the same way we are. If we don't get out and do what God has created us for, then it's not God's fault we start to death. Spiritually or natural. Does that make sense this morning? Sometimes I feel like I'm just going in a circle, but I don't really mean to. I, I want us to, to really grasp hold and, and see where we're at with God. This is the first of the year. You've got to get your things ready for income tax. You've got to get out all your receipts. You've got to get out all your bills. You've got to get out all your papers. And you've got to get those things in apple pie order. Our Uncle Sam comes back and he says, I want to look at your records. He audits you. Now, if you audited yourself right in the first place, Uncle Sam probably wouldn't touch you. Now, he has a few of us, but anyway, get it right. Go back and check your life. What have you been doing or not doing that you knew to do? Because once you know to do it, and if you don't do it, then it's a sin. Mm. 
27. Which of you simply can say by thinking, I will grow 15 inches and then do it? God governs our growth, but we also govern our growth. When we are a child, if we refuse to drink the milk our mother gives us, if we refuse to eat the vegetables and the meat and drink the juices that we're supposed to have, we stunt our growth. But God has given us the ability to grow a certain height. He wants us to grow in maturity. That when the end comes as a babe, the time we get to be 21, therefore we would be maturely grown. But again, the choice is ours. Now our son, he was so afraid he was going to be a short fellow because joy is short. The child in front of him is short. And he thought, well, Glory's taller and Karen's maybe a little bit taller than Gloria, but look how short Joy is, and I'm afraid I'm going to be short. And he expressed this to us, and he expressed it to a very wise basketball coach when he was about three years old. And the coach says, Daniel said, you eat everything on your plate that your mom feeds you, and you drink all your milk. Did you hold it up and get that last drop out of it? And says, then you take your nap every afternoon. And you go to bed early. And says, as you go to bed, says, you lay there and you stretch. And after you stretch, you go to sleep. Because if what you're doing is really showing God that you really want to grow. Well, when he outgrew his bed, I wish he had <laughs> Because we had to go get him an extra long bed. <laughs> He's six foot four and better, and, and he doesn't fit very well in those six foot length beds. But Daniel did it. And when he stands in front of Joy, he says, This, I sure outgrew you, didn't I? But this is the way we are in the eyes of God. If we'll take what God has to feed us and eat it all, don't complain about it. That kid would eat anything and everything I put on the table. And bless his heart for it. He still does today. But he eat it. He accepted it. Then when it comes time to drink his milk, I never had any trouble with him. Now, Mindy, on the other hand, she tells her daughters, I hate milk. And you know what that does. Now her daughters hate milk. Dan says, Mindy, I wish you wouldn't say that to girl. She said, well, I just hate it. So I think the girls are going to be short like their mother. And she has pickiness about her food. Well, we can look at Mindy and see how short she is. But our spiritual life could be the same. We could be spiritual giants if we eat everything that was in this book. And if we drank everything the Spirit of God gave us to drink. We could turn out to be spiritual giants and very strong. And when we say, Lord, give me this mountain. He'd say, go for it. Go for it, I mean. Caleb went for it. And Caleb was an old man. He was even older than me, Brother Hope. Boy, that's old. And he took his mountain. But he took it away from the giants because they lived on that particular mountain. He was a spiritual giant. And we can do the same thing. Sure, 
forgot that which is within us. Remember that that we have forgotten. And let's begin to do what the Spirit of God said. When we lay down on our spiritual bed, after you leave here, you're eating. Right now you're eating, you're feasting, you're drinking, whatever the Spirit gives you. But when you go home, you lay down on your spiritual bed and you stretch spiritually as far as you can stretch. Let that Word of God begin to go over and over and over in your mind and you implant that there so deep that the powers of hell, no matter how much garbage it tries to put in your mind, it cannot cover it up. And then you go to sleep in the arms of Jesus tonight and wake up bigger, taller, stronger than God in the world. That's how we do it. It's a simple little recipe. But Satan has made it so hard he has blinded our eyes and said, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. I don't want it. But children, if God feeds it to you, it's good for you. He said, I'm no respecter of persons. I found that to be true. He's no respecter of persons. Verses 28 and 29, God clothes the lilies and the flowers of the field. They neither sow nor toil nor spin, but they have regal apparel. When we put on the Shekinah glory of God, I don't care what your name you walk down the street after you've had a good session with God, that glory knits from you, that cloak that God has wrapped you with will shine to the world, and they'll think, there goes somebody that's worth something. When he puts his Shekinah glory around us, he puts his sanctions upon us. We are royalty. We're kids of the king. We don't have to be ashamed in front of nobody. The worst thing you can do is say, I belong to Faith Outreach Church. Well, we're kind of involved. That's great. Look in the eye. I belong to faith out of church. We're not many, but we're mighty. I tell people like us, we're a very small church. But there's no big church that loves God like we do. Because when you love God with all your heart, that's as much as anybody can love God. You can have a congregation of 300 if you've got half of them there that doesn't give a hoot. We've got all of us here, dude. We all can. We all are. So we're better than a church with 300 people. See what I'm saying? Be proud that you're a child of God. Don't hang your head. But don't be so proud and so haughty you can't reach out to those that have a need. And you can supply that need. I can't supply some people's needs. Neither can you supply some people's needs. But as a church body working together, we can supply anybody's need that comes to us. If I see a talent in you that I don't have and somebody needs your talent, I'm going to forward them to you. I'm going to tell them your telephone number and your address. And I'm going to say, Sister Marcy works. You can see her after 5 o'clock in the evening. Sister Ida check with her when she gets too baby pitting with her grandkids. 
Okay, all right, then I can check with her during the morning. But you see, this is the way it is supposed to be. A body ministry, we all work together, functioning with one another. Verses 30 through 34, seek God's will and do good for his kingdom. He will, he has promised to supply our needs, not our fleshly wants. But studious, be studious and learn of him and then be obedient. We can know this word of God from beginning to end, but if we're not going to be obedient with it, you're wasting your time. You're wasting God's time. So this morning, I think we need to really take stock, see the proper way of doing things. I'd like to go back and read this sixth chapter this afternoon, maybe throughout the whole week. Maybe you read it every day. Because I think we can get something out of it for ourselves every day. Don't put anything in that sixth chapter on a brother or a sister. Dig around yourself and see where you can put it in your life and in your heart. Next week we'll be dealing with the seventh chapter. And I've titled that, I've already <laughs> I've titled that Checking Our Senses. See how many senses you can find in the seventh chapter. Okay. Huh? Well, there's different senses in the spiritual realm than there is. Oh, I have in a way, but I haven't numbered it. I'll let you do that. Maybe I'll do that this week. Yeah, I have to go back and do all this over again. Oh, I get them ahead, but I have to go back and do them over again. So maybe I've had this lesson three or four times before you've ever had it once. Again, I want to say it's delightful to have our grandson Christopher with us. His mother called and Grandpa said, why don't you let Chris come stay with us? His mom said, oh, I had to think about that. And the next night he was at our house. <laughs> I'm sure glad she thought about that. And Christopher does sing. Uh, he doesn't play the piano. But he does sing, and he does love the Lord. Christopher's been baptized in Jesus' name. He's received the Holy Ghost. How old is he just hold it? About nine. Somewhere in there. And ever since then, he's been a light to wherever he goes. And I'm not bragging on him, except in God. That sometimes he's so bright a light. They took a lot of time to make him in the house.